Well, good morning. I know, I know, Paul and I both are wearing vests, okay? It's cold outside. I wasn't going to put my winter jacket back on, and I know that the staff is going to give us a hard time because pastors wear vests. Okay, uh, let's just get that out of the way this morning. Uh, it is good to be with you. We are continuing our series uh, that is entitled My People. We're looking at the book of Exodus. And uh, we're looking at the book of Exodus for lots of reasons, but one of them is because uh, I do believe, and especially this morning in, in our time in the passage we're going to look at this morning, that he reveals himself in a way that gives us this right understanding and right view of who God is. Because we need that. We need reminded of that when we deal with our feelings, our fears, our anxieties, the things that are going on in the world, like right underneath all of those things is how we look at, view, and think of God. And so this morning, it's an important moment for us because it, God is revealing himself to his people. In this passage, he will do that. Uh, he will also use an unlikely character to, to redeem a free and unlikely people from some unfortunate circumstances, as you saw in our video read by our kids. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll grab our Bibles and we'll jump in. God, thank you for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity it is to gather and to, to sing the praises of your name. We are so very thankful for the book of Exodus as it teaches us who you are and shows us more about your nature it gives us a right view of you so that we may face the world that we live in. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would you open our hearts to hear what you have to say? For we're listening. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book in the Bible right after Genesis. It's a part of a word you probably won't use very often uh, or probably even at lunch, but the Pentateuch, which means the first five books of the Bible. And that's important for us to understand because uh, the bigger story that's being told there, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But we uh, last week were introduced to God's people uh, that are currently um, enslaved in Egypt. And Andrew had reminded us that they were a people with no hope, really. And so we're going to pick up where they left off, where he left off last week, Exodus, actually chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 23 through the end of this chapter. It says this, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. Now you see, when we read a passage like that, I think it makes us think of this question of like, what was God doing while they were suffering all that time? Like, why now? I mean, like this passage makes it sound like God had no idea what was going on. And then all of a sudden he hears their cry for groaning and then he decides to act. And that is a question that if you just read those two verses is a good question. But see, this is the problem with that question. And, and this is the problem with taking two verses out of scripture and start asking questions and making assumptions of who God is. Is that you're forgetting about the context of the passage. I taught this when I did student ministry. I'll teach this to you. You'll hear me say it more than once. Context is king. If you're not willing to pay attention to the context, you're going to miss a whole lot. You're going to end up asking questions like, what was God doing 
during that time. Because you see, you remember last week where Andrew told us about Moses uh, and, and he even referenced all the way back to Abraham. Abraham had promised, pro, or excuse me, God had promised Abraham that his people would suffer for 400 years before he would act. So realistically, if we know that context, we know that, that it's not that God's not paying attention or that God doesn't care, or that God isn't turning his listening ear towards his people. It's that this is fulfilling scripture. God said he would do this. And so of course he's gonna do that. And now is the time for him to act. Now, a little bit of review last week, we looked at Moses. Moses was born in an unfortunate time. Uh, Moses was born, in fact, uh, Egypt uh, had suppressed the Israelites and the Israelites were uh, multiplying so quickly that the, the king of Egypt decided that he was going to put out uh, a notice to all the midwives, Hebrew midwives, you got to kill uh, the babies if they're, they're born a boy. We got to stop their population growth. And Moses was born into that culture, right? That was the cultural context of his time. Uh, we know that Moses was not killed when he was born. His uh, mother hid him for a time, uh, put him in a basket, floated him down the river. He runs into uh, the princess of Egypt and she takes him in. He's raised in the palace as a Hebrew. We know from last week that um, he eventually sees someone, uh, an Egyptian, uh, punishing one of his own people. Now, at this point, as an adult, he decides to take things in his own hands and he kills that Egyptian, buries him, hides him. And the next day he's caught or he realizes that it's not as quiet as he thought it was. And he takes off and flees because he knows what Pharaoh is going to do. Right. And so that's kind of catching us up to Moses, who now is in a foreign land. Right. This is he is a wanted murderer on the run. Okay, like if you think about the, the old Western movies of like the sign that says wanted above it, it's like got Moses mug on it. And you know, I said like dead or alive. Okay, like he is wanted in Egypt. He's not welcome, okay? And now he's gone and as he's away and he's in this foreign land of Midian, he, he finds a wife, marries her and he, become, he becomes a shepherd of all things. Like a shepherd, this is a guy who grew up in a palace and he's becoming a shepherd. Shepherds were like the lowliest of jobs that you could have go out and hang out with the sheep for hours and hours on end. Like that, that was, that's not what God intended for Moses. And so, but Moses is doing that as we get to the beginning of chapter three. So chapter three, verse one. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father Jethro, father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire through the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go and see it. And we're going to pause there for a second, right? So here he is, Moses, okay? And we know uh, that Moses in this time, like this is, again, this is why this is so important to understand that, that Exodus is just one book, a part of the Pentateuch, the bigger story, because this whole story is a part of a bigger story. We're going to kind of see the bookends of this story within the bigger story this morning. But uh, over the, the, the course of these five books, uh, 6,000, a little under 6,000 verses. No, uh, I did not do that math in my head. I did that at my desk earlier this week with a calculator. Okay, uh, right, right around 6,000 words, uh, verses tells us this story. 
And in the middle of it is this one where Moses has wandered out into the wilderness with the flocks and he's come to the mountain of God. It says the Mount Sinai. And there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. Now, I don't know if you've ever burned like a Christmas tree before. I have. It's awesome. Okay. <laughs> that sucker goes like that. Okay. So like to see a burning bush not burning, like that ain't normal. Okay. And Moses, I love it. Moses talks to himself. This is good because I talk to myself, right? Moses is like, whoa, I better go look at that. Right. I better go check that out. And so he heads over to this bush. And as he does, God begins to speak to Moses. And see, when we understand, oh, this is so good. When we understand what is happening in this moment, this is, this is God breaking his silence after 400 years because that's what he said he was going to do. After 400 years, he said, I'm not going to, I'm going to let them suffer under a foreign people. And then I'm going to break my silence. And so this moment's not just Moses talking to a burning bush. This, mo this moment is, is literally the, like, a, it raises a question to me. <laughs> like, do you trust and believe like that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Like, do you believe that? Like down in your gut that he loves you, that he's chosen you, that he has a plan for you. Because, because that first, that last, the, the verse we ended off with last week that I just read to you, like it's easy to get confused and ask the wrong questions from that verse, those two verses. But the real question is, do you trust him? Like if you really, 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 truly trusted him, if you, you had that right view and understanding, like what would you be willing to do? What sin would you walk away from? What what spiritual habit would you develop? How on fire would you become for Jesus and his word? Like if you really be believed what's happening here, this is a bush that's not burning up. I wish I could have seen this, right? I would have just hung out and, and messed with the bush and paid, wouldn't have paid attention to God. But because that's me, right? But here it is. Moses walks up to this. Now I want you to notice he walks up. This is at the base of Mount Sinai. We're going to come back to that in a second base of Mount Sinai. And as he does, God begins to call out to Moses. And Moses realizes, I think rather quickly, that this is a holy moment, that God is speaking to him. And Moses is not just being spoke to, he's being called. And I love this in verse 10. <laughs> Moses has taken his sandals off. He's come over. God's begun talking to him, but he says this in verse 10. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. There's two things that happen here, okay? The first one is that he's telling him to go back to the place where he knows he's wanted. Not like wanted as in like, I want you to come over to my house and have lunch with me today. Like wanted as we want you so we can chop your head off, okay? Like that kind of wanted. Like we don't, like this... I can imagine Moses being like, I'll go anywhere else, but I don't want to go there. Like, I mean, this moment where it has to be this like excitement because there's this burning bush. It's not being consumed. Forget about the sheep. Like there's somebody speaking to me. It's obviously God. Like I, he's got to be fired up to this moment of like, oh, that's the worst thing he could have said. 
Go back to Pharaoh. Go back to the land where I committed murder. Go back to the people that I left knowing they're still suffering, even though I've escaped. Go back to the palace I was raised in where I was treated like a king. Like, go back to that. And then he says, you will worship God at this very mountain. Like this, oh, excuse me, I got to have myself. Then he said, you must lead my people. Now, okay, let me let you into my head, okay? This is where we're gonna have a little fun, okay? You're gonna need to participate. When he says my people, I don't know, that my mind went directly to this because we've been thinking about my people. This is the sermon series. I've been thinking about this for weeks now. Like, I feel like when God says my people, when he's in heaven and says my people, there's like two sets of angels. I don't know if you've ever been to like a football game or a basketball game where it's like time to, to, to like, it's the beginning of the game. They circle up around the middle, mid court, you know, and they're like kind of going back and forth. They're like, who's us? Our house, right? Like they're doing that, you know, you know what I'm talking about? And they're getting jacked in the middle and there's usually like one in the center and he's just like, you know, going nuts. And uh, like, I envision this happening in heaven, okay? Now this is not in scripture. This is just straight up Lance's mind. I'm sorry, I'm letting you in, okay? So I imagine there's like angels on this side of God and angels on this side of God. And they're like, whose people? My people. Whose people? My people, right? Like God's about to do something. Like heaven's getting ready. And Moses is like, I ain't ready, right? And so that's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm on, I'm gonna, we're gonna try this morning. I'm gonna let you into my mind, okay? All right? So I'm gonna say, whose people? You heard, you heard how I said my people. I need you here, okay, ready? Whose people? people. Whose people? people? Yeah, okay, hold on to that because we're gonna come back to it, okay? Yeah, now I'm, I'm fired up. All right, that's, see, that's what happens. See, this is what's going on in my mind. So here's the significance of this. This is God's perfect timing for his people. This is the moment when God, if he hasn't already, establishes and puts a stake in the ground that these are my people. That's, that's you and I. Like this is the beginning. Like I know there's stuff before this, but this is a mon- monumentous moment where God says, they're my people. And for us, we have to understand that this comes at the right timing of God. It comes at the, the right placement. It's the perfect setting for him. It's for us, we have to understand, even in the midst, while the entire nation of Israel is being persecuted, having difficulty, struggling, God is still saying, this is my people. And now it's my turn to act. And so he calls Moses. But I, I, I'm going to be honest. Moses is like, that isn't a good plan, right? I don't know about you, uh, but I don't think this is the time to get mouthy. There's a burning bush. It's not being consumed and God's speaking. Now I'll go ahead and be the first to admit, I don't know when it is time to back talk because you can ask my mother about that. I failed at that a lot. But Moses decides to say, no, 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 but you don't understand. I don't feel worthy. That sound familiar? I don't feel worthy. Moses says, if I, if I go to the people uh, that, and tell them that you sent me, who in the heck am I going to say sent me? Verse 14 says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent, you, sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Moses says, who am I supposed to say when I go there, they're going to ask who sent me. And God says, I am who I am. God's saying in that moment, listen, listen, I define myself by myself. I don't need anything from you or anybody else for that matter. Like I am self-sufficient. I am complete in every way. I am other than you, above you, beyond you. I am perfect. And as that perfect person, I can use you, Moses, because you're not perfect. The point this morning is this. This is the point of this whole section of scripture is that God uses imperfect people to display his perfection. Praise God for that this morning. God uses imperfect people like Moses to display his perfection. He says, you can, you can call me Yahweh. Gosh, I love that name. I don't know why, but every time I say it, I get chills because it's like, it's his name. In fact, it was such a, a holy name that they, they, the Hebrews would take the vowels out of it and wouldn't even uh, pronounce it, let alone write it, because they felt like it was too holy. And that's actually where we get the pronouncement Jehovah from. Like, I, okay, I'm going to geek out. We don't need to do that. Okay, so anyway, he is saying what? I am who I am. Tell them that the one who is perfect, the one who needs nothing, who lacks nothing, who is above and beyond you guys, who created you guys, is the one who's sending you. And so Moses goes. Moses goes. And he does exactly that. Because you see... Uh, he chooses this imperfect person. He sends him. And, and then I love this too. He says this because this is encouraging to me. He says, uh, don't you know that I'm Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, do you guys remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's stories? Those fools were messed up. Messed up. Thank you. Messed up. Yes, I called them fools, right? We take them and we put these Bible characters up on this pedestal, much like we do pastors sometimes, and think that they're something awesome. They're not. Moses, man, he's got every excuse in the book. Who are they going to say? I'm not really good at this stuff. I don't speak that well. I don't know what I'm supposed to do to show them how it is you. Like every excuse in the book. And yet God, what's he do? He chooses to use him because it's not about him. It's not about his inadequacies. It's not about his insecurity. It's not about how much he knows about the word of God. Like he, it is about God's perfection. And his perfection can overcome your imperfection. And so he sends Moses off back to, to Pharaoh. And it is so beautiful to see his perfection work through Moses. God chooses imperfect people to display his perfection. He does the same. And whose people? Oh, 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 you fell asleep on me. On whose people? Yes, right? It's not just for Moses. It's not just for Abraham. It's not just for Isaac. Our section of scripture, and I know we didn't dive too deep into this chapter three, but what ends up happening is, is Moses is so insecure about not having anyone believe him that, that God gives him these three signs. 
And these are just crazy signs, okay? Like he's got a staff, tells him to throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Moses gets scared. I don't know why, right? God told you to do it. It's going to be okay, right? And he picks the snake back up and it turns back into a, a staff. He takes his hand, he puts it inside of his, his jacket. And when he pulls it out, it, it is filled with this skin disease. And then God says, put it back in, puts it back in, takes it back out and it's perfect. And then he says, if that's not good enough, when you get there, say that, you, that God will turn the Nile River into blood. And I'll do that for you. Moses is like, I'm still not sure. Really, Moses? You're still not sure? Did you just see the snake? There's a snake. Not your staff, a snake, right? Like, are you kidding me? So Moses goes, Moses protests again. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? I'm not really good at speaking. Eventually, God says, take Aaron with you. Aaron will help you with the speaking piece. But here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to flip to the end of this story and read you it. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Because you see, we got to understand the bookends of this story to understand the center. God said, 400 years, I'm not going to act. And once I do act, it's going to be mighty. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. This is the ending of this small story within the bigger story. Exodus chapter 19, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, uh, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Let me remind you, this is the base of the mountain where God spoke to him through the burning bush. You see, Moses led Jethro's flock of sheep to the base of Mount Sinai, just as he led God's people as a shepherd to the base of Mount Sinai. God said, this is gonna be your sign. He said that back in chapter three, that you'll be right here with God's people at the base of Mount Sinai. And God does exactly that. Verse three, then Moses climbed to the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me in my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people of earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to my people, Israel. Oh, I love that. God, listen, God not only claimed you as, as whose people? There we go, one of you is ready, all right? That's a head girl. He not only says you're my people, but he says you're my special treasure. You're my kingdom, a priest. You're my holy nation. God has chosen you and I. He's chosen his people. He delivered on his promise. And it wasn't because of Moses' qualities, qualifications, or anything else. He chose Moses because in Moses' imperfection, he could display his perfection and deliver the people from Egypt. And so the question is, is how could God use your imperfection? Our section ends with that. You see, uh, he goes, Moses goes, the ending of chapter five, you see Moses goes back to um, the 
the elders of the Israelites, he presents these these signs to them and they agree that God sent him. And, And so they go with Aaron and Moses to the king of Egypt. And just as God had said to Moses, hey, look, you're gonna go do this, but I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart. So he's not gonna say yes. But they go and they go and they present these signs to Pharaoh. And as we know, God hardens his heart and it doesn't work the first time. But something's changed. Moses gets it now, I think. <laughs> that this is, this is his perfection, not me. This doesn't have anything to do with, again, listen, it doesn't have anything to do with my imperfections, my insecurities, my shortcomings, my lack of Bible knowledge. Like God's gonna use the imperfect to display his perfection. And that's exactly what he does. You'll have to come back next week to hear more of that story. We'll get to the end of it eventually. But he puts on display his perfection. And I love this. This is a a passage that I take great hope in. It's uh, Paul, and Paul is speaking in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter one, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, you can just listen. But Paul says this because he's echoing this story. He's echoing the perfection of God and the imperfection of his people. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26, he says, remember dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things of this world, excuse me, things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring about nothing what the world considered important. As a result, no one can boast in the presence of God. I don't know how you feel this morning about being called foolish, powerless, and despised. But it's never felt better to me. God chose the things that were foolish, the things that were powerless, the things that were despised on earth. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. Right? Everybody thought he was foolish, speaking nonsense. He was powerless. He couldn't save himself. He couldn't rebuild the temple. Despised. We don't want him around here anymore. Let's crucify him. To do what? To bring about shame for those who think they're wise. To shame those who think they're powerful. To bring about from nothing what the world considers important. See, God and his perfection is in the business of using your imperfection to point back to himself. That's the point. That's what God does. That's what he does in each and every single one of us on a regular basis. This whole interaction between Moses and God displays our inaccuracies, our insecurities, our inability to even understand or come close to grasping God's perfect power. And yet, in spite of all of that, God chooses Moses and he chooses you. We're told just a little bit after Exodus 19 that God will establish the priesthood, the Levites, 
And as he establishes the priesthood, the priesthood's uh, job is to be the mediator between God and the people, between heaven and between earth. And these, this priesthood, these priests, they were supposed to wear these medallions uh, on their, uh, their, their, their outfits that said, I am who I say I am. It said, it said Yahweh across the front of them because they were God's representatives to the people. The great high priest, man, I could get into that today, but I don't have time. Great high priest wore one uh, on the, the headdress that he would wear on his forehead because he was the high priest. He was the one who would go in once a year to the temple and make uh, sacrifices on behalf of the people and speak to God on behalf of the people. He, that was their job was to mediate between the two. As he established this priesthood, and let me remind you, he says that you are his royal priesthood. His chosen people, his holy nation. And so I tell you that because this past week, I, I, I had a busy week, but I went to a, a funeral. Some of you know what funeral I went to. It was of Rick and Beth Beaver, who were members of this church. And as I walked through the door of the funeral, they gave me this pen. It says, I love Jesus, or I heart Jesus, right? I love Jesus. And I didn't really understand why we were getting these pens as we walked in. They had thousands of them. And they're handing them out. And I, I just, I didn't understand. I'm like, I'd figure out what's going on with this pen. And so I asked the question, what, what is the deal with this pen? And one of Rick's good friends had accepted Jesus a few years ago. And I don't know if they gave him this pen at his baptism or what, but he got this pen the day he was baptized and he wore it every single day for an entire year straight. Every day, pinned right here, year straight. And then shortly after, Rick's friend would pass. He actually passed this year. And Rick was, and Beth were so moved by how dedicated he was to this pin that they went ahead and had like thousands printed. And, and Beth would keep them in her purse and they would go places and Rick would come back to Beth and be like, hey, I need more of those pins, right? They're going about their day. In fact, at the funeral, at the funeral, one of the sons said, we were just celebrating Rick's 60th birthday. And we're, it was, came that time where the whole family's at this restaurant and it was time to sing happy birthday to Rick. And Rick's not at the table. Rick's at another table in the restaurant, handing out pens, talking about Jesus. Because he got it. He understood that, that we're called to be the mediators between God and the people who have yet to know Jesus. And so just as the priests wore uh, the medallions on them. I've worn this pen. And in fact, uh, I went ahead and asked the family for any pens they didn't have left. And I've got two baskets of them. They're gonna be out in the lobby. Now I'll say this before you go grab yourself a pen. Don't put this on unless you're ready to talk about Jesus. Just don't do it. It's okay. You don't have to take one. I don't got enough for everybody anyways. All right, let's be honest. Uh, I don't think at least. God can multiply whatever he wants to do, right? My wife and I left the funeral and went to Jimmy John's on 146. And the first four minutes I was in that restaurant, we had two conversations about this pen. One of them was with the cashier. He said, why are, is everybody that's coming in right now, Jimmy John's have that pen on? I said, because we just attended a funeral of a man who believed this. I said, they gave him to us, asked us to wear and that's why I'm wearing this. I said, do you know Jesus? It's like a high school kid. He's looking at me with deers caught in headlights. He didn't expect that question. 
He said, I don't. And I said, well, I know you got a line behind me and you're working right now. I said, but if you ever want to know, I'm a pastor at Wyrever Christian Church in Noblesville. My name is Lance. You can always look me up and give me a call if you want. We can talk about it. I let him go about his day. He might've looked at me oddly a couple times throughout our time eating lunch there, but it's all good, right? What I'd say is that, I'm not saying this is legalistic. You have to wear a pin to be able to do this. You are whose people? God's people. He's claimed you. And when you have a right understanding of that and a right view of what God is doing and his perfection, it doesn't matter how imperfect you are. Listen, if you would have gotten a chance to get to know Rick and Beth and their story, you would look at two really imperfect people. I loved them both. But man, they had stories, failures, shortcomings, mishaps, things that if I just told you about them and didn't tell you who it was, you'd be like, I don't know if those people are people who should be a part of our church. Yeah, they should. Yeah, they were. And what, what Rick grasped was that he was chosen by God to put on display his imperfections so that God can be seen in his perfection. And this week, what Moses is asking us to do and showing us is it doesn't matter your shortcomings. It doesn't matter your insecurity. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter if they're gonna ask a question that you don't know, you can call me and I'll help, right? Like, it does not matter. The, the, the point is this, are you telling people you love Jesus? Because God delivered his people, my people, from that situation in Egypt. And one day he'd send his son who would deliver his people, my people, from their greatest issue, which was their sin issue, through Jesus. And so yeah, I wear this pen that says, I love Jesus. But even if I don't have it on, I love Jesus. And my ask for you this week is to allow God to use his perfection and your imperfections. Let me pray for you. You are, God, the great I am. You are the one who said, I am who I am because you were perfect in every way. You didn't need anything else. You don't need anything else. And yet you chose us to use us, to put your perfection on display, to show us how awesome you are. You sent your son, Jesus, to secure for us that perfection, that eternity, forever with you, which we know Beth and Rick are experiencing this morning. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the ability to live boldly our love for you, Jesus. As we walk about our day, as we leave this building and as we live life and encounter others, help us be a church that shows the love of Jesus by the way we love others. We pray this in your name, amen.